Alright, we just received uh, news of the terrible terrorist attack in Israel, so our learning this morning of Parsha Zekev will be Le'ilui Nishmas, the seven people, Hashem Yikom Damam, and, uh, and the 25 or more who are injured, may they have Rafu Shlema, may all their families find Nechama, and may Akash Baruch finally bring peace to our brothers and sisters in Israel and, uh, and beyond. Okay, Parshas Ekev, we continue, I mentioned last week, I believe that uh, Sefer Dvarim is the ultimate Musr Sefer. The Balai Musr would study Sefer Dvarim all year round. They wouldn't only read Dvarim in the summer, as part of the normal cycle of Torah reading, but they would study Dvarim long before there was a Masilus Yisharim, or a Shari Tshuva, or an Orchus Tzadikim. There was Sefer Dvarim, because who's the author? Kosh of course, but it's really Moshe's speech. What greater Baal Musr could you have than Moshe, whose very name is Rabbeinu? <laughs> His mother didn't call him Moshe Rabbeinu. Even Basia didn't call him Moshe Rabbeinu. She called him Moshe Lo. He had many names, the Medrash says. Avigdor, he had many names. But we call him Moshe Rabbeinu. He is our teacher and he teaches us not only the mitzvahs proper, but uh, through Sefer Tvarim, his, his Musr is really very, very inspiring. And Akev is a continued excellent example of that as he continues to review Jewish history until that point and continues to inspire the people as they're going to enter the land it, uh, it really uh, rings true with a contemporary message and continues to be true till today so I want to start from um, again Akev action packed you've got the mitzvah of benching you've got the second paragraph of Kriya Shema you have a review of the Chaita Egel you have uh, you know uh, encouragement to observe uh, Observe the mitzvahs. You have... It's action-packed. Action-packed, Akev. Can't put it down. But we're going to start from Perak Yud. In the middle of the parsha. it's actually Revi'i, the Revi'i Aliyah. Perak Yud Pasuk Aleph. Says the Torah. Says Parsha Zekev. Right on time. Just beginning. We waited for you. Ba'esahi... Amar Hashem Elai, P'sal l'cha shnei l'chos avanim karishonim, va'alei elai hahara, yasis l'cha aron eitz. What's Moshe saying? In the last Aliyah, earlier, he reminded the people about the uh, terrible uh, episode with the Luchos, about how he had gone up on the mountain, HaKadosh Baruch Hu carved Luchos, and he gave them to Moshe. These were miraculous Luchos. They were carved by the Almighty Himself. How God warned him, when you descend from the mountain, you're going to see an act of rebellion. Moshe indeed saw it. He reminds the people of... They're an Am Oraf. They are a stubborn, obstinate people. And... Um, that in itself is fascinating because here Moshe, as part of a criticism, reminds them, you're a stubborn, obstinate people, but if you go back and say for Shmos, you'll see that part of Moshe's argument to God of why he should spare them was forgive them because they're an Am Kesheoref. So how could Moshe employ their very, the very characteristic for which God indicted them, Moshe is employing as a way of Excusing them or saving them. So I'll leave that question for another time. A fascinating question with an even more fascinating answer. But uh, Moshe reviews and he reminds them, God was angry with Aaron, I davened for Aaron. And he reminds them the whole story. And Pasuk Chavdalad in the last parakh, You've been rebellious with God? By the way, in Sefer Dvar, Moshe does not hold any punches. He's, he's pretty rough with the Jewish people. And... As someone here pointed out last week, this isn't even the people that actually violated these issues. This is their next generation. But yet God, Moshe tells them, You have been rebellious from the day I've known you. 
From the day God has recruited me to be your leader, you have been a miserable, rebellious, spoiled, rotten, bratty, nation, complainer, negative, toxic. Pretty rough. And he also throws in there every now and then. He does in our Parsha, as he did in the last two Parshios. By the way, I'm not allowed into Israel because of you. (laughs) He gratuitously comes back to that now and then. So Moshe's attitude towards the people is worthy of its own review as well. But that brings us up to Perak Yud. So Moshe says, Ba'isa, he at that time, at that time, God said to me, Carve two tablets similar to the first ones, and ascend to me to the mountain. And I will make for you an Aron, how do you translate an Aron, an ark, a cabinet to hold them made out of wood. Write on the luchos, so those things that were on the first set of tablets, Asher Shibarta, that you broke, and then when these luchos are complete, the second set, place them in this ark. And so I made, says Moshe, an ark made of shitim wood. I indeed carved and engraved two tablets similar to the first ones. Va'al hahara. I went up the mountain. And the two tablets were in my hand. And it was written on the tablets paralleling the original writing, namely the Aseris Hadvarim. By the way, what are they called? The Ten Commandments in Hebrew? Not Aseris HaDibros, Aseris HaDvarim, which is the proper grammatical way to say it. Why we call it the Aseris HaDibros, I don't know. The Torah calls it the Aseris HaDvarim. But anyway, carved on the second set of tablets were the Ten Commandments that God had spoken on the mountain from the fire on the day that we all assembled. And God gave them to me. I came down from the mountain I placed these tablets in the ark that I had made that God told me to make and they were there as God commanded okay so that's the first part of this parakeud so of course there's a number of questions to ask if you're reading the text if you're reading the text with a sensitivity there's a lot of ambiguities that are used and there's a lot of questions you can ask Ba'isahi, he begins Ba'isahi in that time. In what time? What time? What's Moshe referring to? At that time, God then said to me, carve two tablets like the ones that I gave you to begin with. What tablets? Yes. So let's see, let's see the Mepharshim. Again, for the sake of those listening at home, whom I promised I will hold back questions till the end. Either have to hold them till the end or scream them so they can hear them on the recorder. Says Rashi, It was at the end of 40 days. God, Rashi, God wanted me and he said, Carve these uh, second tablets. And then he said, Make a Aron. But I reversed the order, says Moshe. I first made the ark. Where do I put them? If I come down from the mountain, I'm holding these luchos. You can't put them on the floor. You don't put them on the counter. I'm not asking anyone else to hold on to them while I go assemble an ark. So therefore, I reverse the order, says Moshe. First, I built the Aron so that when I descended, I had a place to put the luchos. Now, the second question I was going to say is, so the first question is, what's Ba'isahi? And Rashi says, Ba'isahi is after 40 days. In other words, after 40 days, what happened? I, I came down from the original time of spending 40 days up there. I... 
saw the Egel, I destroyed the Luchos, I then at the God pledged to annihilate the people. We spoke about last Shabbos morning. It says, Vayinachem Hashem. God changed his mind. Source of Nechama. Shabbos Nachamu. Nechama is not comfort or consolation. It's inappropriately translated. Nechama means a re-evaluation, a paradigm shift, a change, a new way of thinking. That's what Nechama is about. I don't want to... Uh, go into it. I emailed out the drasha if you want to read about it. But there are many examples. If you actually do a search, you'll see that whenever the root word nachem is used in Tanakh, it doesn't mean comfort. It means God changed his mind. The end of Parshas Breshis. Before God performs the mabul, vayinachem Hashem, for placing man al haaretz. God reevaluated. God regretted. God reconsidered. Nechama is a paradigm shift, a new way of thinking, reevaluating our lives, reevaluating where we are. And therefore, when you draw from the past to reevaluate your present and lead an inspired future, there's no greater comfort than that. So God comes down from the mountain. Uh, sorry, God, Moshe comes down from the mountain, breaks the luchos. God pledges he's going to annihilate the people. Moshe davens and pleads on their behalf. Vayinachem Hashem, God changes his mind. He then invites Moshe up a second time. And that's what Rashi says. Ba'isa, he means after 40 days. And what's the Saron? We never heard of this Aaron. We know that B'tzalah makes an Aaron for the Mishkan. What Aaron is this? So Rashi tells us. Lo Aaron It wasn't until after Yom Kippur when Moshe came down a second time with the tablets that they were first commanded in a Mishkan. And B'tzalah was charged with building it, the architect of the Mishkan. So this Aaron that's going to house the second set of tablets, this is not the Aaron that was in the Mishkan that was assembled by B'tzalel. First B'tzalel made the Mishkan, and only after building the Mishkan were the Kalim in the Mishkan made. There's a similar, actually, conversation that Rashi says here, where God first gave the instructions for the Kalim and the Mishkan, but... And this was a debate between Moshe and Betzalel. Betzalel said, you, you, don't, you don't buy your furniture and then build the house. You build the house and then you buy your furniture. Says Rashi, the Aaron that Betzalel made, that was housed in the Mishkan, that never left the Mishkan. This Aaron that Moshe made, that was the original Aaron, it was kind of a temporary Aaron to hold the Luchos until the uh, permanent one was, was made. This Aaron was the one used when they went out to war. We know when they went out to war, the Luchos preceded them. The Aaron preceded them. And why was that? So that they would remember their war is unlike any other. Their war is not purely a military fight. They don't win it in purely military or natural way. But it is a metaphysical it is a spiritual war. God is the one who fights. So the Aaron would go out. And that's what Rashi says. The only time they used this Aaron of Moshe was in the time of Eli. And when they were punished, it was captured, if you remember. By whom? Plishtim. The Plishtim. The Plishtim captured the Aaron. And God sent them a terrible plague, if you remember what the plague was. Hemorrhoids. God sent them... It's all in the Navi. God sent them hemorrhoids. And that was a terrible plague. They were so uncomfortable. They were so miserable. There was no preparation H. And therefore, they were willing to give the Aron back because they were suffering so terribly. They actually made a... They sent it back on wagons and they created a, a golden hemorrhoid as in Saul and the Navi. 
Why is that? We study Navi. We'll talk about it. So Rashi says, what's Ba'isai? Ba'isai means after 40 days. This is the second set of Luchos. What Aron is this? Says Rashi, this is an Aron that Moshe made. It was a temporary one. Betzalah made the permanent one. Betzalah's Aron housed the Luchos in the Mishkan permanently. Moshe's Aron, once the permanent one was made, was used when they went out to war because it was designed for transport. It was designed to be temporary. That's Rashi's understanding. Hold on. Look at... The Ramban says the Ramban Ba'isahi Amar Hashem Elai Psolacha Achrei Shehis Nafalti Lufnei Hashem Es Arbeim Ayom Es Arbeim Alayla Nisratza Elai Shiyichtav Luchos Shnios After I daven to Hashem for forty days and forty nights, I God was appeased and He invited me to carve a second set of luchos. Avahayu Arishonos Masa Elokim. There's a fundamental difference between the first luchos and the second luchos. The first were designed and created by God. And they were miraculous. The Samach, the Mem, were, were, they had writing on both sides, even though it was carved all the way through. The Samach and the Mem, even though the, the stone is entirely carved around, it was suspended mid-air. All, you looked at it and you saw something which was supernatural, which was miraculous. This one, says Moshe, was different. I was to carve the luchos, but it would still be the writing of God. But these were not supernatural. These were human. And God said to me, says Moshe, make an ark to hold them. That you'll be able to place the luchos in them when you descend. This aron, as the Torah itself testifies, was pure wood. What was the aron in the base of Mekdash in the Mishkan? It was layered with gold inside and outside, with wood in the middle. If you remember, it's a model of a Talmud Chacham, that which houses the Torah, like a Talmud Chacham, Tocho Kiboro. It has to be layered on the inside, like it is on the outside. You can't have cheap wood on the out, in the inside, and expensive gold where everyone sees it on the outside. Talmud Chacham can't on the outside carry himself as if he is a Talmud Chacham, but on the inside and in private, lack integrity, be corrupt, be immoral, and so on. So, but this Aaron was different. That Aaron was layered with gold on the outside and inside. This Aaron was pure wood. Now, why wasn't this told with the first Luchos? Because God knew that they were going to be broken. God knew. So the Ramban is of the opinion that this Aron was not subsequently used, but this was a temporary Aron until there was a permanent one in the Mishkan. So Rashi says, because of Rashi, But that was Rashi. The Ramban is quoting Rashi verbatim. And says the Ramban, Rashi drew this all from the Medrash Tanchuma. But a person could ask. 
Why did you, what was the purpose of keeping this first tarum? Once you took the luchos out of it and put it in the permanent one, why did you need the temporary one any longer? And why did you need to hold on to it in order to bring it out to war? The Omram, and here's what the Ramban says, you ready? Shashivre haluchos hayusham. You know what was kept in this temporary one? The broken luchos. The broken luchos. So in other words, when God gave Moshe the luchos a second time, He says to Moshe, build an Aron. Rashi and the Ramban agree that this is not a permanent Aron. It is Betzalel who will build the permanent Aron in the Mishkan. This is a temporary one. Rashi is of the opinion that the temporary one still served a purpose and a function. It was used to go out to war. The Ramban says used to go out to war. It was never used again. What do you mean? Why would you need it? You now have a permanent one. It says the Ramban drawing from the Medrash. What was it used for? It was used for the Shivrei Luchos. So I'll ask you a question. Why do you need to keep the Shivrei Luchos? The first set of Luchos that were broken, chuck them. Throw them in the garbage. Bury them. Bury them. Okay. Sefer Torah you can bury. Put it in the Geniza. Put it in Shamos. Why do you keep them? It's a reminder. What is it a reminder of? Oh. So the Gemara says, I don't know what the Ramban does with this Gemara, because there's a Gemara that says, Luchos v'shivri luchos munachem ba'aron. Well, the Ramban deals with this. He continues, he goes on. Luchos v'shivri luchos. He quotes this Gemara. Brachos, menachos. It's a long Ramban. We're not going to read the rest of it. I just wanted to draw at this point. It's a very long Ramban. You can read the rest of it, and he addresses this Gemara. But what's the notion of Luchos Veshivrei Luchos Menachem Baron? Whether they were kept in the same Aron, the broken ones and the complete ones, or whether they were, as the Ramban says, kept in two separate ones, the new, complete, functional Luchos were kept in the permanent Aron, and the broken ones were housed in Moshe's Aron. Why keep them at all? And I think the lesson is profound. The lesson is that even the broken luchos, even the broken, shattered moments of our lives, we need to hold on to. There are lessons which were learned. There were ideas, there was inspiration which was drawn. There's motivation we find from the broken moments of our lives. We don't, we don't survive the broken, shattered moments and then discard them. We hold on to them. Because they are precious in formulating our present and our future and who we are. We don't discard them. And that was the message of Luchos Vishivre Luchos. Not only do we keep the permanent, not only do we keep Kabasi, the functional Luchos, we hold on to the shattered moment because we're able to learn from it as well. We don't become paralyzed by, by focusing on it, but we hold on to it as well. Rabbi, I heard that this is why we respect an older person who may not have the abilities and faculties if, you know, when someone was a, 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 a Rav or a Tommy Chacham, and yeah. they may not be that way anymore, we have to respect what they were and, and show the same Okay, story. beautiful. They have the status of Shivrei Luchos. Very nice. Look at the Sforno. Says the Sforno At that time, meaning after 40 days and 40 nights where I davened, God said, God said, come, ascend, come uh, carve uh, two tablets. Says Ravavaji Sforno, What Moshe was saying was, with all of my davening, I couldn't fully repair the damage which was done. Because the first time God carved the tablets, I couldn't fully repair the damage which was done because while God was willing to forgive, it was never the same again. He had given the greatest, most precious gift, His tablets. We had, and what would have been housed in the Besam Mikdash, with the goal of being permanently, 
was a symbol of our love, our intimacy with HaKadosh Baruch Hu, because of its transcendent nature. It was, it was miraculous. But even after I prayed and poured out my heart and God accepted it, now He said, you carve the luchos. It was an inferior set of luchos. I could never repair the damage which was done. We were able to move on. We were able to rebuild the relationship, but I couldn't fully restore what was lost. And so this was an inferior set of luchos. And that's what I want to take a moment on. Okay. Yes. This correspond to the story of God that's a great parallel I'd never heard that Yoni yeah it's like Gan Eden we're throwing away God's gift we are we are uh, neglecting God's gift and we end up with an inferior version now that's one way of looking at it in a moment we're going to look at it a different way the Beis Alevi that I handed out to you but before we look at that look at the Orachayim HaKadosh Rav Chaim ben Atar says the following: The first set of tablets were miraculous; they were God's carving. The second, through Moshe, they weren't worthy of the miraculous nature of the luchos after the Chayta Egel. And then God said, Make a ark out of wood. Perish. If you go back to Sefer uh, Shmos, God never instructed Moshe to make an ark for the first set of luchos. He said, Come up on the mountain. They spent 40 days, 40 nights. God taught Moshe the Torah. He gave him the luchos. He sent them on his way. There was never an instruction to build an ark for it. What was the plan with the first set of luchos? Even with the first set of luchos, it was only going to instruct Betzalah once he descended from the mountain. It was going to take time to build a mishkan and then to assemble its utensils. What was the plan the first time? Why didn't we see this commandment to build in our own with the first set of luchos? Why is it only here with the second set of luchos? Says the Orachayim HaKadosh, V'hatam, the reason is, Part of the miraculous nature of that first set is that they stood on their own. They stood on their own. I don't know what that means. They floated in air. I don't know if that means that they, when they were placed on a table, they were displayed prominently because of their miraculous nature. They, anyone who saw them understood that they were distinguished and holy and sacred. I'm not sure exactly what the Orachayim means by um, they stood on their own. But the point was, the only reason you needed an Oron for the second set is because they were inferior. They were made by a human hand. And therefore they needed protection. God said didn't need protection. It wasn't subject to the elements. It wasn't, they didn't run the risk of tipping over or being rained on and tarnished or a person denting them. They were made by God and therefore they didn't need protection. The second set were made by man. They were inferior and therefore they needed the protection. And that's why only with the second set does God instruct Moshe to build an arm. And the Orachim says, you know where I get this from? I get it from the Pasuk itself. God said, Why didn't God say, Make a ark out of wood? Why did God say, why does the Pasuk say, again, if we were reading this with sensitivity to the text, go back to the whole Pasuk. Pasuk Alak of Perakyud. It should have said, Ba'isahi, Shunta said Baisahi, should have said when. It should have said La'akhar Arba'im Yom. What is Baisahi? That ambiguity allows for the commentaries to debate what Baisahi is. 
But Ba'isa, he ambiguously, Amar Hashem Eli, God said to me, Psal, should have said Psal Shnei Luchos, carve two, two uh, tablets. What do you mean Psal Lecha, carve Lecha, to you, for you? What does that mean? Avanim Karishonim, Va'alei Alayra, come to me on the mountain. And it should have said, Ve'asisa Aron Eitz, and make a ark out of wood. What's the Lecha twice? Two times. Why twice? Psal Lecha, Ve'asisa Lecha. What's this lecha? What's this lecha? So that's what the Mepharshim here are coming explaining. Lecha means it's made by man. You. It's inferior. The, the luchos are lecha made by you. And therefore it requires an aron for protection because it's inferior, because it was made lecha, it was made by you. So that's one attitude, one perspective of all of these Mepharshim. You see it hinted to in all of them, the Sfarna, the Ramban, the Yorachayim, that this second set is inferior, it requires an honor for protection because it's inferior. The Sfarna goes so far as to say that as much as Moshe received repentance and atonement for the Chayta Egel, it was never fully restored. Because you see that in the second relationship, you know, the first marriage, God said, I bought an engagement ring, here it is. In the second one, God said, here's some money, go choose an engagement ring. He still wanted to get engaged. still wanted to follow up and get married. But it wasn't the same. It wasn't the same. That's the Sforno's approach. But I want to show you now is the Beis Alevi. You have the handout in front of you. I don't normally do this. So I think the first time. There's more here. So if anyone didn't get, thank you if you can hand these out. This is a long piece in the Beis Alevi, which we don't have time to read the whole thing. We don't have time to read the whole thing. Who is the Beis HaLevi? I just have to tell you something funny because this answer is bothering me. You know I've had a fly bothering me since I gave the shear about... I've had a fly bothering me since Cholomite Pesach I gave the shear about Gilgulim, about uh, reincarnation. Everywhere in this building that I give a talk there's a fly bothering me in my face. So my oldest daughter Rachel calls me Motzei Shabbos from camp, she's in sleepaway camp, she says, I, was, I gave the Dvar Torah in camp in the dining room on Shabbos, they asked me to give it, she says, an Abba, there was a fly bothering me the whole time and I couldn't stop thinking of you, your fly came to camp and it was, it was bothering me. So anyway. It's either protection or chizur. Yeah, I don't know what the, uh, what the role of that fly is. So uh, we don't have time to read this whole Beis HaLevi. Who was the Beis HaLevi? Rav Yashaber Salavechik, not the Rav, Rabbi Salavechik, who was from Boston and a Rosh Hashiva NYU, his great-grandfather. His great-grandfather, Rav Yashaber Salavechik, was uh, the Beis HaLevi, father of the Briska Rav. They're all the Briska Rav, but the yeah. father of Ravelvo. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm sorry, the grandfather of Ravelvo. But the Beis HaLevi, Rav Chaim's father, the Rav's great-grandfather, the Beis HaLevi. So the Beis HaLevi has uh, his... Uh, commentary on Parsha and at the end of this volume Beis HaLevi Al HaTorah he has a number of what he calls Drush they're essays essays on Torah so in Drush Yerches in the 18th essay he deals with this interesting question the distinction between the first Luchos and the second Luchos and he basically says the following I'm trying to figure out exactly where to read from I'm going to tell it to you outside and maybe we'll read sections of it Essentially, his point of view is that the second set of luchos are not inferior at all, but indeed, in some ways, are superior. Because the first set of luchos, the first manner in which the first luchos were given, Torah was spoon-fed to the Jewish people. 
We were given Torah in a way that it would be handed to us miraculously through God, and whatever was given by God was permanent, could not have been forgotten. But it was an artificial learning. It was a passive learning. It was a learning in which we absorbed Torah through listening to it, rather than acquiring it for ourselves. The second set of luchos, stafka, specifically because they were carved and made by man, meant that man, not only in its giving at Sinai, at Harsinai, but subsequently until today, it requires amelis. It requires our toiling, our effort, our initiative. And therefore we have to work to acquire Torah, and that actually is a blessing and gives it a superior status and not an inferior status. Beis Alevi brings an approach that the second set of luchos, God was not punishing us. Unlike the Sfarno, it's not that it was inferior because Moshe couldn't fully restore the relationship. It was superior. The relationship was even stronger because of what happened to the point that God said, instead of spoon feeding you, instead of giving you something which will be indelibly impressed upon you permanently, passively, you're going to take it, make an effort. You're going to be part of it. It will be eligible to be forgotten. And that's what happens all the time today. You know how often I'm learning Gemara and I'm using a Masechta, I'm using a Gemara that I learned before and I'm seeing everything I underlined or I see the notes I wrote in the column and there are few things more depressing than saying, I cannot believe I learned this before because I'm looking at it now like it's the first time I ever saw it in my life. In my life. God instilled the capacity to forget Torah. Something that didn't happen with the first Luchos. With the first Luchos, the nature of the way Torah was given at first, it was divinely given and anything given divinely was permanent, was not capable of being forgotten. The second way he gave it was through man. And now it was fragile, it was vulnerable, and now we had the capacity to forget. The capacity to forget is not a punishment and doesn't make it inferior, says the Beis Alevi. He says it's a blessing and it makes it superior. Because now we have to acquire it. Now we work. And when we work, we make it a Kenyan, we make it our own. What's the, what's the Pasuk in the first parak of, of Tehillim? He doesn't quote this, the Beis Alevi. Kitoras Hashem, Soya It says, Toras Hashem, David HaMalach relates to it. And then he says, Besora So. In the end of the Pasuk, it begins as Toras Hashem. When we sit down and open the Chumash, we open the Gemara, open uh, Navi, open Musr, open the Mishnah Bura, open the Tanya, whatever we're opening, it begins as Toras Hashem. And after we've worked hard to acquire it, it becomes our Torah. It becomes a piece of us. We have acquired it. So that capacity to acquire Torah only exists because of the nature of the second way that the Luchos were given. So the Beis Alevi's approach is that it's not indeed inferior, it's actually superior. Rabbi Salavechik, the great-grandson of the Beis Alevi, and the brisker approach, therefore, was to expand this idea. They would not eat chickpeas at a Shalom Zachar on a Friday night. Why do we have a custom of eating chickpeas? I eat chickpeas all the time because I, I hope I hope somehow it's a schoola for having a shalom zakhar. I, eat, I like to eat chickpeas all the time. I tell you, have to eat chickpeas. It's a schoola that someday we'll have eat chickpeas on a Friday night in our home. So, but why why did the briskers not eat chickpeas on a Friday night? Why were they against it? So the reason we eat chickpeas is because they're round. And why do we eat round things like lentils, a mourner? Because there's a circle of life. Round is an expression of mourning. And how is it an expression of mourning? Because there's a cycle of life. There's birth, there's death, there's a cycle of life. It comforts the mourner to realize that there's a cycle to life. What mourning is happening at a Shalom Zahar? 
So the classic explanation that's giving is that this baby in the womb was learning the totality of Torah. This baby in the womb had the best Rebbe. They say, by the way, I think I shared this with you when we learned Sefer Bracious, if the baby in the womb has the best Rebbe in the world, then how come Yaakov Avinu, when he was in Rivka's stomach, in Rivka's uh, uterus, when he would walk by a base medrash, why was he trying to get out? Right? The medrash Rashi quotes, medrash says, that when Rivka felt this, this running inside her, inside her uterus, she felt running. And she went to find out what it was. And when she would walk by the base of Odezara, Esav was running to get out. When she was running by the base of Medrash, Yaakov was running to get out. Why was Yaakov running to get out? In the womb, in the womb, you have the greatest Rebbe in the world. You have an angel teaching you the totality of Torah. So they say, no matter how great your Rebbe is, if you have Rusa's Esav, you got to get out of the yeshiva. you got to get out of that yeshiva. So... The Rebbe's teaching, the angel's teaching Torah. Gemara Nida says, the angel teaches the totality of Torah. When a person is born, the angel taps you. That's the sign that we have on our upper lip. And you're forced to forget all of Torah. So the reason, the classic reason given for the Shalom Zachar is, we are there to comfort the baby. The baby was just in the base medrash, 24 hours a day learning Torah from a Malach Hashem. And now the baby's born and all of a sudden, delete. Everything was deleted. Everything, it's like the whole hard drive has been deleted, everything's lost. If you've ever lost your hard drive, believe me, there ain't enough chickpeas in the world to comfort you. You are, you are mourning, you are mourning deeply. So this baby's lost its whole hard drive. All of the, all of the memory is lost. The whole document it was working on is deleted, is gone forever. So the baby's mourning and we're there to comfort and that's why we check peace to comfort. Says, says Rabbi Salavechik, say the brisker is based on this base Alevi, what are you talking about? It's the greatest bracha in the world that this baby is forced to forget Torah. Because had the baby remembered everything he learned, what would life be like? Passively, the baby would have Torah impressed upon him or her forever. Now the baby is given the opportunity to toil, to exert effort, and thereby to acquire Torah. In other words, if you remembered everything from the womb, it would forever be Torah Sashem would never be yours. Only because you are forced to forget and now have a lifelong journey of learning and challenge of acquiring is it transformed from Torah Hashem to Torah So. So Shalom Zachar, chickpeas morning? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? By the way, just as another aside, if I have enough asides, we'll finish the class, we'll never get back to the Chumash, but another side, the Rav said, what's this Kamara? What is the point of teaching all Torah if you're just going to cause to forget. Now we understand why you should forget so that you can acquire. But if the whole goal is to force you to forget, why spend nine months learning? What's the meaning of the medrash that the baby is learning? Why learn if you're just going to be forced to forget? Said Rabbi Salavechik, most beautiful interpretation. Because, said Rabbi Salavechik, by learning it and then forgetting it, throughout our life as we learn Torah, we're learning something which is somehow familiar to us. Deep inside us, we have an awareness. We're coming back to something. When I say I learn a Gemara, it's so disturbing to me that I, I feel like I've never learned it before, but at the same time, it's familiar. It's familiar. In other words, the Rav said, it's the Pintal Yid. You know there's a Pintal Yid that when a Jew is brought back to Torah, they're coming home to something that is somehow familiar to them, even though they've never been there before? How is it familiar? Because they learn Torah throughout the time in the womb. So even though we're forced to forget and it's a lifelong journey of bringing it back, nevertheless, 
Nevertheless, it's impressed and indelibly on our hearts so that when we come back, it is something which is familiar. That empowers our outreach efforts. In doing outreach, we're not introducing something to someone for the very first time ever. We're trying to remind them of something which deep down is impressed on their heart. So that's the Beis Alevi. You have it in front of you. I haven't read any of it. But you see, he quotes our Psukim here in Sefer Dvarim. It's all, it's, it's this beautiful essay. It's not long. It's these four pages. But the Beis Alevi de- develops this idea where originally it was Luchos Elohim. It was God's writing. And therefore it was passive learning. And therefore it was permanently impressed. And therefore we couldn't have forgotten. But it would remain Torah Hashem. The Luchos Shniyos, the second Luchos, which were Maisa Adam, where the hands of Moshe become, allow us to acquire it in a way that it becomes Torah So. It's really important just to while I'm on my attentions and asides, that's why it's so important. Listening to shiurim is great. Listening to shiurim is great. People listen to the dafiyomi. They listen to a parsha class. There's incredible opportunities online now to listen, listen, listen. iPods, listen, listen, listen. But you know what? It remains Torah Hashem when you listen. It's passive learning. Active learning is opening a safer and working on it. Get a chavrusa or by yourself, break your teeth. Read Rashi, read the Gemara, study Navi, go through the Mishnah Bura. To transform something from a passive learning where you're listening to an active learning where you are opening a book, a text, and studying yourself, that's the highest level of, of Torah study. Okay, continuing. Continuing. Pasuk Vav. Uvnei Yisrael... Then journeyed from Be'eroz B'nei Ya'akan to Moserah. There Aaron died, he was buried there, and he was succeeded by Elazar his son, Tachtav, who took his place. Misham Nasu HaGudgoda, from there we went to Gudgod, Mina Gudgoda, Yadvasa, Eretz Nachalei Mayim. Bo'esahi, and at that time, I'm a Pasachas, Hivdil Hashem HaShavet Alevi, at that time God distinguished Shavet Levi, Lasesis Aron Bris Hashem, and they were charged with carrying the Aron. La'amod Lefnei Hashem L'Sharso, to stand before God in His service, U'levarich B'Shmo, and to bless in His name, Arayom Azeh. Al Cain, therefore, because Levi were distinguished with this mission to serve Hashem, therefore they did not receive a portion with their brothers. Hashemu so you know what their portion is? Their portion is not real estate. Their portion is Hashem. Hashem like God spoke to him. kayamim. I stood on the mountain like the first time, Laila, 40 days and 40 nights. God heard me not to, not to destroy you. God heard me and he said, Good, lead this people. Come, they're going to inherit the land that I have sworn to their forefathers to give to them. Now, this next section from Pasuk Vav to Pasuk Yid Aleph is very out of order. What's going on here? He was in the middle of talking about Moshe, how he ascended the mountain the second time to get the luchos. Then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he says, we traveled. I'm sorry, then out of nowhere, he says, yeah, we traveled. Aaron died, we buried him. Elazar took over. We traveled. God created and established the Shevet Alevi. Then I went back up on the mountain and prayed for you. God agreed he wouldn't destroy you. And he said, yes, you will indeed inherit the land. It's very out of order. It doesn't seem to flow, the theme of what's going on here. 
So the Mephorshim take note of this. Look at Rashi. What is the fact that they went from Be'eros B'nei Ya'akon? I'm a Pasek Vav, Rashi. What is the fact that they went from Be'eros B'nei Ya'akon to Masera? What does that have to do with the middle of the story about the Luchos? Moshe is in the middle of reviewing the whole episode of the Chaita Egel. He's in the middle of reviewing the whole episode of going on the mountain the second time to get the second tablets. What, is this, what in the world is this doing here? Vod and furthermore, says Rashi, this is unusual Rashi, because Rashi doesn't usually ask the questions. He gives an answer and he challenges us to figure out what question he was answering. Here Rashi is actually asking the questions. Vod furthermore, Bechimi Be'eros B'nei Ya'akon Nasu L'Moseira Ba'aloha M'Moseira Ba'olu B'nei Ya'akon The Torah reverses the order. If you look in Bamidbar Perak Lamed Gimel it says they went Vayisu M'Moseiros to B'nei Ya'akon. They went from Moseiros to B'nei Ya'akon and here the Torah is reporting it as if they went from B'nei Ya'akon to Moseiros. Which is it? So first of all, what's it doing here? And second of all, if for whatever reason you're going to put it here, at least put it accurately. Why is it changing the order? The ode, and furthermore, Shah Mace Aaron, Aaron died there. The hello, Bahar, Bahar Hahar Mace? What do you mean, Shah? Aaron died. Shah in Mosera? What do you mean he died in Mosera? He died Bahar Hahar. You'll find that there were eight journeys from Moseros to Hor Hahar. So what happened? The Torah forgot that? So the Torah switched the order and it said we went from B'nai Ya'akan to Moseira when the truth is we did the opposite. And from Moseira it was eight stops. We journeyed and encamped eight times till Horahar when Aaron died. So why is the Pasuk reporting it? B'nai Ya'akan Moseira? Shem Mes Aaron. It wasn't Shem. It was Horahar. It was eight stops later. And you got it in the wrong order. And what in the world is it doing here all together? We didn't ask any of those questions because we're not really paying attention. Rashi was paying attention. And if you pay attention to the text, you can't help but be bothered by these questions and others. says Rashi. This too is part of the rebuke. Moshe was hinting to them that you caused this as well. When Aaron died at the end of 40 years and the clouds of glory which had protected you in his merit were withdrawn. Yarisem lachem mimelaches melech arad unisatem rosh lachzor lemitzrayim. Because you no longer had the clouds of glory protecting you, you were afraid to go to war with the king of Arad, and you wanted to head back to Mitzrayim. It was one of your episodes where you got afraid, where you had an anxiety attack, a collective anxiety attack, and you said, "Forget it. We don't have these protective clouds. <laughs> we're not going to succeed. We won't triumph. We got to head back to Egypt." So you retreated. We had progressed as a nation. We had advanced as a nation. We had learned to rely on Hashem. We had learned to depend on God. We had learned to see God's guiding hand in our national destiny. But when Aaron died, you took a big giant step backwards. You lost your faith. You got afraid. And you wanted to return to Egypt. And that's why the Pasuk reverses the order. Because what Moshe is alluding to them, hinting to them, is you went backwards. Just like I'm reporting the places backwards, I am really rebuking you to say, when Aaron died, you went backwards as a people. Next Rashi, Yadvasa. And then when you got to Masera, you mourned 
a heavy, heavy mourning for the loss of Aaron, who caused this. Aaron didn't cause it, meaning his death and the withdrawing of the Ananiah Kav of the clouds of glory that were protecting you caused you to be afraid. And it was as if he died there. So why is Moshe? What in the world does this have to do with the with the uh, smashing of the shattering of the luchos? What does one thing have to do with another? What's the connection? Says Rashi. Why does Moshe connect it? It's a medrash in Vayikar Rabbah that the day that there's a loss of a great tzaddik when a righteous person leaves the world it is as painful for God as the shattering of the luchos. In other words, the loss of a human Torah of the human luchos is as painful for God as the loss of the original luchos. So Rashi here is answering It's an unusual Rashi It's a long Rashi He asks the questions Then he gives the answers Why is it reported backwards? To remind the people When Aaron died You went backwards Why is it telling us About Aaron's death Davka here In the middle of nothing We're talking about The shattering of the Luchos Because Aaron's loss Was as profound and it has profound an impact on the people and as God are the loss of the luchos. A living set of luchos is as sacred, if not more, than the original set of luchos. That's Rashi. Says the Balaturim. Expanding on this idea, Rav Yaakov ben Asher, the Balaturim. Samach misas Aaron the shviras haluchos. Loma lecha kasha misas hatzadikim kishviras haluchos. Like Rashi, is quoting the Yerushalmi and Yuma, that... The reason the Torah placed the death of Aaron with the breaking of the Luchos is to tell us to equate the two. And that's why the halacha is, when a great Tamar Chacham dies, everybody tears Kriya. Just like when a Sefer Torah is burnt. When a Sefer Torah is burnt, we all tear Kriya. The loss of a Sefer Torah. The symbolism of that of that effect on our people, we all tear Kriya. The same is true with a great Talmud Chacham. Now today, we don't have how do you define who's the Gadol Ador, who's a great Talmud Chacham. If we could definitively know who's the Gadol Ador and they would die, we would all tear Kriya. We would all be in mourning. Why? Because the loss of that righteous person has the impact on the world of the shattering of the Luchos. As the loss, the burning of a Sefer Torah. It hints to another thing. The Gemara Megillah Chavav teaches us a halacha that when you have to bury a Sefer Torah, we don't, this is true until today, we don't bury a Sefer Torah which becomes possible. We don't just dig a pit in the backyard and bury it. And we don't even bury it in an empty grave in the cemetery. You put it alongside the Talmud Chacham in their grave. The Torah is buried with the human Torah in the same grave. It's Gemara Megillah. And it's practiced until today. Why do we do that? So again, the Balaturim says, you see from here, the fact that the Torah equates the loss of Aaron, the death of Aaron, with the shattering of the Luchos, it is creating an equation, a parallel between the two. The Sfarno also picks up on this and says that's why the Pesukim come together here, even though they're out of sequence. 
says the Sforno, even though they saw the impact of a righteous person and their prayers, they saw how the righteous individual's merits protected them, and that it's worth uh, mourning for his death, many or most of them, says Sforno, this is a different interpretation than Rashi, they did not grieve for Aaron. They said, Aaron died? That's too bad. But you know what? I'm really thirsty. Is there a place I can get a drink around here? And that's why it gives this order. Because they made their way for, to Gudgoda, Luros Hatzon, this is teaching us about they were concerned with their cattle for their water, they were concerned for their own water, that they neglected the loss of the Tamachacham. Svarno takes a different approach. The reason it's combined in the Pasuk is not because they grieved for Aaron like the loss of a Torah, but the opposite. Aaron died, it's really sad, too bad. I'm thirsty though, and we don't have water, and it's not fair. And that's what the Torah is alluding to in going backwards on this journey. They actually turned around and they went backwards. What does Levi have to do with anything? Torah also here mentions that the Shevet Levi, the tribe of Levi, was now God distinguished them as a people and charged them. What do you mean, Ba'isahi, at this time? What's the Ba'isahi? What does it mean, at this time, God separated the tribe of Levi? Says Rashi Ba'isahi, Amar Pasuk Ches, B'shana HaRishana L'Tesham in that first year when you left Egypt and you made that mistake with the Egel, the reason that Moshe mentions it now is once we're talking about the Chet Egel that caused me to break the tablets, I'm reminded to mention that Levi did not participate. And because they didn't participate, God separated them. Levi always stood true to their faith. While you wavered in your faith, let's go back to Egypt. I'm afraid of the war. I'm thirsty. I want water. God, send us back to Egypt. There were great cucumbers there. Levi never lost their faith. And so Moshe, in contrast, he's trying to draw a contrast with the people. While you went backwards, when you had a cheta egel, Levi, the tribe, distinguished themselves. And because they distinguished themselves, God distinguished them and charged them with a sacred mission. What was their mission? They carried the Aaron. What does it mean that they stand before God in service and blessing in His name? What blessing is that? Hakoanim, who nesias kapayim, tzduchanim, Levi, which is the koanim, they are the ones who duchan, and therefore alkein loyal Levi chelak says Rashi pasuk tes lefishuhuvdu lulavodas mizbeach einam pnuim lach rosh v'lizroa. They are the community kolo. There are cities set up in every other tribal area of Israel, cities which are designated given to Levi. They're supported by the community. It's a community kolo in every tribe, in every tribal territory, Levi are teaching Torah. Levi are the rabbis, kolo rabbis of the community, and they're supported by the community. Because how could they plow, and how could they plant, and how could they reap, and how could they, when they're busy Torah, teaching Torah? That's their job. That's their sacred mission. And why were they worthy of receiving that sacred mission? Because they had already distinguished themselves by holding on to their amuna, something that other people did not 
do. Says the Tzvarna Ba'isa he hivdil. Me'achar shekvar hivdil akel yizbarach shevet miyuchad la'avodas ha'mikdash ve'ein ha'tamruyim l'shtadel ba v'imzelo ishgadasi b'tfilasi rakshlo yashchisem va'amarli. Again, that Levi were distinguished uh, to serve God and you're not worthy of this service because the best I could do was pray to God that He not destroy you. So you, I got to survive. They got more than just surviving. They were charged with this sacred mission. Says the Ramban, Pasukhez. What's this Ba'isahi? Musav Le'inyam Rishon Ba'isahi. This Ba'isahi is connected to the earlier Ba'isahi. Go back to Pasuk Aleph. Perakid began Ba'isahi. God said, carve two nuluchos. What was that Ba'isahi then? After 40 days. You performed the Chayta Egel. I prayed for you for 40 days. Ba'isahi, at that time, God said, carve two nuluchos. Says the Ramban, there's a parallelism here. This Ba'isahi, this reference to at that time, parallels the first reference to at that time. B'Shana HaRishona Sheyatisim Mitzrayim, the first year that you left Egypt, B'Tayisim Ba'egel, and you failed with the golden calf, but the people of Levi didn't fail, and that's why Lashem Rashi. Says the Ramban, V'im Kain, if that's so, Yomar, Ki min ha It should say, not at that time, but from that time. If Rashi is correct that this is referring to the same Ba'isahi, namely, you failed with the golden calf, then it should say, from the time you failed with the golden calf, not at the time. God did not distinguish them in the first year at the moment of the failure of the golden calf. It wasn't until the second year. So it should have said from that time, not at that time. So therefore the Ramban says Ba'isahi means something different. The Ramban disagrees with Rashi. Ba'isahi is not the failure of the Egel. Ba'isahi is the charge to Moshe, the commandment to Moshe to carve two new tablets. Because that's when God forgave the people and He charged them with building a Mishkan. In other words, the building of the Mishkan was a response to God forgiving them for the golden calf. So the Eisahi is not when they fail with the golden calf. It's the opposite. Ba'isahi at that time is when you were forgiven from your failure with the golden calf. Part of the forgiveness was giving a Mishkan. And what was the point of a Mishkan if you didn't have those who served in it? Who served in the Mishkan? Tribe of Levi. So Ba'isahi means when God forgave you with the Egel and agreed for the building of a Mishkan, He also at that time distinguished a tribe to serve in that Mishkan led by my brother Aaron, and that was the tribe of Levi. So the Ramban disagrees with Rashi. What does Ba'isahi mean? What is the reference of Ba'isahi? We'll stop here. Have a fantastic Shabbos.